podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the weekend and Neil Atkinson, Kieran Molyneux, Rob Gutman and John Gibbons all in front of me to come. We've got Greg O'Keefe, we've got Rory Smith, we've got everything that you need to set yourself up for a Merseyside derby weekend. One with the FA Cup involved, we're going to get onto that obviously with Greg and with everyone in the room, but we're going to start by talking about Liverpool against Sheffield United and uh, Rob Gutman. Chris Wilder does the show for us, to be honest with you, afterwards with the post-match comments, they are about as conciliatory, open, honest, paying homage to a brilliant Liverpool side, to a brilliant Liverpool performance as you're ever going to get from any opposition manager. Yeah, actually, I was, I was thinking, can I just play his comments now? Is that is there copyright issues? Because uh, they, they need to be yeah, injected into my veins and all that stuff. He was just... It's rare you actually hear another manager take time out to do that. They'll normally... they'll normally, I've, I've rightly so want to talk about their team and, and throw a bit of sugar your way. But I don't think he was in any way trying to uh, console his players or or minimise the fact that they were beaten. He was just... He's just a very honest guy talking from his heart. But what, what, was, what was heartening from... Oh, repeat the word from our perspective was was just how thorough he was with his analysis about about how we control football matches he, he, he took, but he 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 was trying to make some point which I didn't quite get he kept sort of disparaging academies he goes I don't know what they're teaching them in the academies they just want to watch <laughs> Liverpool these academies um, but he seemed to be more talking about Liverpool's mentality and will to win the thing that actually intrigued me most in his comments was when he said um, actually no it wasn't his comments I mean the myriad comments I was seeing after the game did, did you see Rio Ferdinand's uh, stuff Rio made a very important point he says players watch these games you know there are lads up and down the country in their lounges and their hotel rooms watching Liverpool and going oh my god what is going on here and he said Liverpool are going to be, be are beginning to beat teams before they've even come on the pitch I think that you, there's a bit of that uh, Kieran I think what helps before teams get on the pitch or as teams get on the pitch is scoring the goal in the fourth minute and I think that that's one of the things that this performance has in it a little different from a few recently recently we've started well we've created a couple of chances but we haven't stuck them away when he sticks it away I think it changed the whole game at that point and Sheffield United know they're just in for the longest 90 minutes of their lives because not only are Liverpool better than them but they've now also got the goal advantage exactly and you could see from Wilder's face um, I watched the highlights back before as soon as the goal goes in the pan, the, the pans to him and he just knows straight away this is just not part of their game plan whatsoever they needed to stay in the for as long as possible keep in Liverpool's faces be physical you know put the effort in <clears throat> and when Liverpool scored in three or four minutes and it, and it changed the whole game plan like that you could see they didn't really know what to do and you say there, it, it is a bit cliche that you know the hard, the hard work thing but Liverpool did play in second gear last night and mm. They weren't working at their hardest. They, you know, they were making the ball do the work. They were reserving energy. They were brilliant, and I just think, you know, credit Sheffield United. They are good. They are really good side. But when Liverpool are playing like that, you know, you don't want much hope. Yeah, they're in real trouble, I think, from the outset, John, and they know it. It's more that Liverpool are just so comfortable in their own skin at the moment. And then they, they step up to the task. It was as though they, they've learned from the, the game at Bramall Lane earlier in the season. But also they know what we all know about the Sheffield United side, that you, you will have to outwork it. And they just take such delight in doing so. Yeah, uh, Chris Wilder used the word humility, didn't he? Which I, I really liked. You know, it's a it's a... It's a thing you want in, in the city of Liverpool, isn't it? For people to, to show that no matter how talented they are and, and how successful they are. And it's great that outsiders are seeing that in our team because because that is, I think, what they show every time they, they go onto the football pitch. You know, just because the, the talented players and they're winning awards and, the, you know, there's four of them, in, you know, deemed in the top ten in the world now, isn't there, in terms of, you know, how these things are ranked. But they, they go on there knowing that 
well first of all you win the battle first of all you, you fight harder than the opposition and then your quality will show through and, and they show that every time they, they go on, on the pitch you know it's the hunger to to fight for each other it's the hunger to to win that game of football and, and you know I think one of the best things the, the, the Klopp's sort of ever give us an insight into is is this idea of they've got our points and I think I think that I really like that phrase by Klopp he tells the players you know before the game to, to get them hungry and to get them up they've got our points there and we want them and, it, and that's what they act like they act affronted that these people have turned up with our points <laughs> and that we're going to grab them off them as quickly and as aggressively as, as we can and, and yeah they're just they're just a brilliant football team and so hard to play against because of that and I'm, I like the fact that that was highlighted as well because you, know, you get bored of people saying oh these teams never seem to turn up against Liverpool we'll, we'll, we we don't give them a chance how can you fight if you've got a foot on your throat it's it's through the whole side let's be honest about this Rob and that is as close to a, to, to a thorough performance as you're going to get where you're able to, to, to praise every single player for me the thing is the more selfless the more humility Liverpool show the more it feels as though the captain comes to the fore Every single time, he his his play for ten years has been not about getting the best out of himself, but getting the best out of the people around him. And the more Liverpool are all doing that as a full eleven, the more you feel as though he's increasing in prominence, game after game after game. He was tremendous against Sheffield United, Jordan Henderson. Yeah, he's he's now I think definitively having the best season of his career. He's still getting better. I think great midfield players do get better right at the end of their twenties. I mean, last night he was fantastic and, and I actually didn't expect him to start last night because he's played a ridiculous amount of football lately. Klopp has, Klopp has played him in every game. He was press-ganged into services centre-half in, in the World Club Championship against Monterey because because Van Dijk was uh, not well. He need, You know, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to say he shouldn't start the derby, but he probably does because there's no way the cat's captain of Liverpool. He will not want to not start the derby. Um He's also a thing which is, and I don't want to turn fade there, what's become a bit of a thing in the past with Henderson is, is niggling injuries and the fact that he couldn't maybe repeat games. That was, a, that was a thing with him two years ago. Maybe it's quietly gone away. I think, he had a, I think we'll look back on Jordan Henderson's career and if we analyse it thoroughly, go, it was a bit of a career interrupted because towards the end of the Rodgers regime, he had that heel injury, I think. And I think it took him a while to become the player he is now. And I, I don't hope he won't end up feeling cheated of some of the best years of his career, but, but he is absolutely peaking now. And I don't see any reason why we can't still have this version of Henderson for at least another two or three years. It's, it's the sort of performance, again, it helps. It's the, the first game of the year, the televised, if you know what I mean. The, the, everyone gets to watch it. No other games on the daycare and, and I think that it will be one which which does ring out where everybody is in work today everybody's saying to one another whether they support Liverpool whether they support someone else thought Jordan Henderson was a bit special last night he was and I seen something the other day which said um, you know Jordan Henderson has his critics <clears throat> but he's played more Premier League games now than anyone else in the league yeah. and the two managers that have picked him for those games have sat first and second yeah. in, in, in the best league in the world so I think that says a lot I think Anyone who, who has anything to say negative about Jordan Henderson usually doesn't watch him week in, week out, or definitely doesn't anymore. Maybe a time where you could watch Henderson week in, week out, and you could have complaints. Could but be the, frustrated with some yeah, stuff. But yeah, but you, you were frustrated across on many areas of the pitch. You keep it, you centre half, you, you full back. So he wasn't just Jordan Henderson. He was just an easy target. He was, and he had the captain's armband on after Stephen Gerrard. You know what I mean? So he. He playing week in week out. I said this after after the, after the World Cup final in Qatar as well. He was unbelievable on that pitch. He's mm. unbelievable. He's brought it back to England with him. He looks like a captain of of, of Liverpool. He, he's he's shouting. He's telling. He's he's putting tackles in. He's 
He's on fire. He's the best I've seen him play in a little bullshit. Yeah, he's in a real rich vein of vein of form, isn't he? And he's, he's it's a good timing as well. I, I would say, you know, because I think just you know we're obviously a little bit short on midfielders at the moment, and and when Aldum's sort of been a little bit in in and out as well, and so you know a great time to 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 play you you maybe your best football ever in a Liverpool shirt with with Fabinho out, and you know with others kind of in and out of the team a little bit as well. Kite just when he's looking like he's going to be reliable, sort of breaking down again in in warm up, and but he's just really stepped up at this really key time, you know, in the season, you know. Uh, Kieran there mentions that you know the World Club Championship, what a good performance he had in the final, real statement performance in a in a big game. Then comes back at us, you know, he's terrific at Leicester, and and you know he's the game's coming thick and fast. And like you say, Rob, that was something in the past where you worried about his 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 body and that. No one's no one's talking about his gait anymore, are they? No, no gait chat. Um, well, he's just Alex Ferguson's heel shot. Yeah, yeah, big exactly. Gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's just he's just looking phenomenal. And I think in a funny kind of way that. The position changes over the last year or so have helped him a little bit because I think he, he just looks like a complete midfielder now. Like, I think, you know, he did get a little bit bogged down in that six for a while, but then I think moving forward, you know, being a bit freer with that, and then, and then having that and then going back has, has, has helped him a little bit, really. I think he's he was just everywhere last night, was it? He was just, he was like a one man midfield. Uh, what a joy it must be to play alongside him at the moment. You just get, like, get to look lovely, don't you? Joys to play alongside certain Liverpool players, Kieran. Um, there's a lot of, rightly, a lot of talk with Joe Gomez at the moment, but yet again, Virgil van Dijk makes it just all look so easy. The slide and tackle first half just sets a certain tone, I think. I think it, it almost just said to Sheffield United, you're going to have to work this hard to get this close to our goal and then we're going to do this to you it was a phenomenal moment it really was it was a defining moment of the evening but all the way through the game Van Dijk's just in charge that's it I think there's an, there's an old saying isn't there I think it's a Maldini if you have to make a slide tackle you're out of position and I think it's the first time I've seen Van Dijk yeah. had to make a slide tackle this season and for a split second I thought oh he's in here and he just the leg extended like some sort of inspector gadget and, just, <laughs> and won the ball from, from, from an unreal angle he's just immense isn't he like he, every single game without fail he, he puts a pass out of place you think I haven't seen him do that before you know what I mean it's like any any little thing yeah. in his game it's so rare it's like yeah. every week he's just at the top top level he's the best centre half I've ever seen it's redified there uh, but from the goalkeeper through to Van Dijk through to Henderson at the moment then the front two uh, of Mane and, and Salah who looked even more like a front two yesterday it's something we've talked about recently Rob on and off mm. um, it's redified there they're all breathing this is this is as good as it gets the two fullbacks are arguably the best pair of fullbacks in world football at the moment you know you go on the list goes on every single time and, and this is with a few injuries every single time you open your mouth you feel as though you're committing hyperbole this isn't hyperbole this is just the best football team on the planet and the best football team you've ever seen yeah it, well it's it's on target to be it's on on target to prove that very much so I mean we were talking before the game Neil as to what this season's ambitions are and I think uh, without without we all don't want to tempt fate we all don't want to count ch chickens but actually our target isn't just winning this league it's about becoming the greatest league winning side ever to beat Man City's 100 point uh, target and the reason we can do that is, as you say, is because we have this quality throughout the team. Now, you can look at a team and go, that's an amazing 11. And it was an amazing 11 last night, including James Milner, who was sort of parachuted in because yeah. of Naby Keita's injury. But there are some world-class players who aren't in this side at the moment because of injury. And I'm going to count Joel Matip as a world-class player, Fabinho as a world-class player. They've all just won the European Cup. I think they have just won the European Cup, yeah. Um, and Naby Keita was getting into a vein of form, which suggests he, he, he has world-class qualities. Um, and I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I've forgotten I've been disingenuous unfair to people like Degsy Lovren um, 
it's a really, really strong squad. Uh, just spotting in the highlights, I watched them back as well, Kieran. You can see um, Takumi Minamino there, and you think we've got another fellow who's really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is really, really. It's, it's look, it's a great time to be a Liverpool fan. And maybe uh, maybe if we lose the derby, Blues are going to listen back to this and, and laugh their heads off. But I, I, they can't spoil it for us now. They can't hurt us now because whatever happens this season, we we know we know what we've been through, know the journey we've been on, we know we've won a European Cup. It's it is about finishing that specific job now, John, and I think the humility helps. I think the idea that they've got to start the thing I keep writing down is they start again from zero. That every single game it starts again from zero, and they know that. We'll talk about the the FA Cup game to come uh, in later in the show, but in terms of the league challenge that's in front of them, it's two difficult games to come: Tottenham away, Manchester United at home. Uh, arguably, three Wolves away is the one that follows, and then it it becomes a little bit easier. But there is a job to get finished now. I'm very confident they will finish it, but they're not complacent, and we shouldn't be either. No, I think I think they genuinely do take the next game. I like take one game as it comes, so concentrate on the next game. And all those cliches that managers saying, you're like, oh yeah, come on, you know, you've got Man United in a month. You're thinking about that, aren't you? I think they all genuinely just think, concentrate on the next game and just try and win the game in front of them because I don't think you could have done what they've done this season without doing that. Like, you can't set out in August and go 19 games first half of the season. Let's just win 18 and, and we'll we'll take one draw. You can't set out to do that. It's it's it. It's ludicrous. Mm. So, so I think they, they must have done it just by going. Well, we'll just, we'll just, you know, you can't win eighteen games out of nineteen, but you can win that one, and then and then you can put that away, and then you can win that one. And I think they genuinely do do that. And I think that's why you know the strength is there, and everyone's trying to catch them at the moment. Aren't they? So the Trent interviews after the game, and they're going, "Are oh, you going to win the league, though?" Aren't you? And he's like, "Well, we might beat Spurs." Do you know what I mean? And it's like it, that's that's how they react, and I think that's. I think that is genuine because I don't, as I say, I don't think they've been able to do what they've done without that kind of mindset. I think part of that, Kieran, is is Sheffield United, for instance, have got a similar points total to Tottenham and to Manchester United. I think that's almost playing into Liverpool's hands at the minute. We can all sit here and say, "Well, I'll tell you what, United at home will be a big game." They were they're all sitting there looking at each other, saying, "Well, Sheffield United at home was a big game. It was a big game for us. It was on the telly. It was the idea that people are watching it up and down the country." But also, well, they're broadly speaking, so far this season, they're as good as Man United. They they, they drew with Man United when they played them. Just what I mean I think that's almost working for them as well all these challenges are similar challenges it's not like ones like a Man City at home we've got that one out the way yeah I, I agree with what John said they definitely are taking it one game at a time and, if, and I think if you if they weren't doing that you wouldn't see them too late goals at Villa you wouldn't mm. see the Lallana goal at Old Trafford I think if, <laughs> if, if you're not taking it one game at a time you know a draw or, or, or the odd defeat after the season or the run they've had, it wouldn't feel so so much. But they are taking it every game at a time. And I was saying this last night. The mad thing is, yeah, Liverpool can get better. We're the best side in the world. The minute we're world champions, we're European champions. But not a game's gone by where we haven't been a bit wasteful with a few chances. You know what I mean? There's like you feel like we haven't quite got going yet. Exactly. Like <laughs> only Leicester really. Do. Exactly. Yeah. Like and and I do genuinely feel that this Liverpool team has got another gear, and I just hope this gear is is, is open to me. The, the, the note of caution I, I would sound, because I think Klopp, Klopp actually said it to the players on the back of the Wolves game, because he actually sort of got lost because the games have fallen, come so thick and fast. He was very unhappy with the performance there. We're very good against Leicester. We get very good against again last night in a sort of more understated way. 
we're beginning to get the acclaim and approbation from around the football world now that I don't think we were, we were we didn't really get on the back of a 97 point season and a European Cup winning season last season uh, we haven't had for much of this season even though we've streaked away it's more talk of when when will City click into gear what is you know what are City's malaise is uh, what's going on elsewhere in the league there's not been a, a rush to acclaim this Liverpool team as an important football team it does begin to feel like it's coming together a bit now in terms of the comments are coming thick and fast. The praise is coming thick and fast. And I think that's something that Klopp's going to have to get the players to get their heads round mm-hmm. because it is a test, this. It's a test of, of potential complacency. Of course, it could lift them. It can make it can make them that little bit taller and hopefully they will use that. Um, but it's just another phase in the development and I think it, you know it's, it's worth observing. There'll also be a huge amount of noise if and when we do get beat. And I think yes. that's something that we'll need to think about as well. I mean, not necessarily think about start thinking about it now because then you'll just lose your next game but I think I think maybe in the back of the manager's mind or whatever it is because I'm sure all the fans are saying like oh Liverpool media darlings everyone just wants to bang around about how brilliant we are which they are doing at the moment to be fair well Paul Wilson and the Guardian had a really good go of being as begrudging as humanly possible (laughs) (laughs) well good on him Uh, in a way but no read it out in the the dressing room for the lads look I was on I was on Twitter on the trade home last night and it is just a loving you know there's people queuing up to, to praise this this football team and, and sort of what they're doing and you know I'm sure that's kind of sticking in the craw of a, of, a, of a lot of people but if if they do get beat it'll soon be a big oh here we go what's going to happen now do you know what I mean because only because people want stories people want drama you know there's, there's people whose who's, you know livelihoods depend on this This you know it's a circus isn't it and so and so that's something that we'll have to think about as well like as I say don't think about it too much because you just talk yourself into a defeat then but if we do go to Spurs and lose or we lose against Man United or whatever there'll be a lot of well what now what now and even more eyes will be on Liverpool if that's at all possible if that is at all possible listen uh, Rory Smith coming up also uh, Greg O'Keefe talking about Everton uh, and then we'll be back having a chat about the Merseyside derby Hello, it's the weekend and it's John Gibbons. I'm joined in the studio by Neil Lackerton and over the phone by Rory Smith because Rory's written something very interesting for the New York Times, as he always does. He's all killer, no filler, that man. Um, about VAR and, and it's more Rory about the idea of people are getting crossed with a machine when they should, should maybe be directing um, any sort of anger or, or ire towards um, human beings or rules or, or, or even the idea that, um, you know, a fair play. Is that, would you say that's correct? Well, yeah, I kind of think we've, we've, we've lost the point and VAR has kind of highlighted a, an issue that's, that's been bubbling under for a while and that was, was probably always an issue. Um, but now that we have the technology to kind of highlight it, that, we are, and, and that it's, it's shown that something's wrong, but we're taking our fury out on the messenger rather than the message, effectively. I think, yeah, having thought about this after, after so I wrote a piece from the Liverpool Wolves game about, about VAR and offside, and the one thing that I kind of wanted to say that I completely forgot to in the rough capacity that it took was that I think there's, there's legitimate complaints about the implementation of VAR that are separate. So the fact that fans in the stadium don't really know what's going on, yeah. kind of the delays, the delay to the game, that issue, which I personally don't agree with about people now can't celebrate goals. I think you get more celebration per chapter with VAR. That to me is just mathematically not a valid argument. And I think all, all of that stuff is kind of important and it matters and, it, and it's stuff we have to think about. But there is a specific issue with these, these VAR offsides, which is that the offside rule is stupid and needs to be changed. And it's not that VAR is... It's not that, that, that's not become through because VAR exists. It's something that we can see better because VAR has shown it to us. 
Um, and the other thing I think that's important is that the way we talk about this is really problematic to me in the sense that the worst thing you can ever do in football is name something. So when, do you remember the transfer, the transfer committee? Yeah. At Liverpool. So every club has something like that because no, no, uh, no club or no reasonably well, well run club, maybe West Ham, no one is, is sort of just saying, right, I want to sign him. You have to talk to the chief scout, the, the analytics people, the manager, the coaching staff. Uh, the legal team. Who work in different areas. The legal team, the chief exec, the owners, whatever. So you, every club has like a committee that decides on transfers. That's how it works. When Liverpool named their transfer committee, the transfer committee with capital T and a capital C, it gave people something to shoot at. This kind of, it, it turned it from a thing that happens into like a new concept. And it's the same with VAR. So what, what do we mean when we say that VAR has, uh, has denied someone a goal? We mean that the rules have denied someone a goal. So in the same way, if, if I picked the ball up and carried it into the net and, got, and the referee whistled me, I wouldn't be like, well, the referee's denied me a goal. If you're offside, you're offside. If it's a handball, it's a handball. I think it's problematic that we are blaming VAR, in inverted commas, for all this stuff happening, when in fact what, what, what VAR's doing is just enforcing the rules, which allows us to see that the problem is not necessarily VAR, it is the rules. And with offside, that's, that's the big thing, is that what, what VAR is telling us is offside is technically offside. They don't know all these decisions right, basically. Um, it, it is technically offside, it's just we don't think it's offside, because it doesn't, it doesn't seem like offside to us. And in football, that's really important because these are not, we call them the laws of the game, but they're not actually laws. You can change them. They, you, they, they depend entirely on consent. So if we, as fans and players and coaches and managers, whatever, decide, right, this isn't working for us anymore, we can change the rules. We're allowed to do that. I mean, a couple of other things have happened since you, you brought the article out. One of them was uh, a further incident, which was the Aston Villa one, which which yeah. sort of just seemed the most ridiculous. Uh, and, and there's been quite a few ones. Um, and then another thing is um, an acronym. I can't remember what, what what acronym exactly, but an acronym have come out and said that, like, I mean, you're not meant to be doing this anyway. The IFAB, I think. Was it? I yeah. 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 Yeah, I've said that um, the idea of, you know, because the Villa one wasn't just ridiculous in terms of... Um, you know the the offside itself is the fact that it took three minutes I think it was and and also you know the, the amount of replays and and I think you know what they said was if, if you're needing five six seven replays then it's just onside and 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 you know sort of stop messing about and I thought that was you know quite interesting from a point of view of you know it, it sort of comes into what you're saying is that you know it might be very 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 technically offside but we've all just sort of decided in the past that this is fine and we need to try and find a way to keep going with that even with a kind of VR system yeah so the, the villa one was quite similar to me to the wolf one to be honest is it's one of the things that you hear people say is right we've there, there's this new breed of offsides that are a very kind of fine margin technical offside and you kind of have to set aside this stuff about frame rate and margin of error and accuracy because that I think is getting into the weeds of the discussion a little bit. It's important, but I don't. Th I don't think that by solving the frame rate, you're going to take away the issue. I think even if we knew that the images we were seeing were 100% correct, there would be people who look at the walls and the villa goals and think they're not offside. That isn't what offside's meant to mean. And the other argument you often get is right: change offside to be it's only the foot that is offside. So if you're, it doesn't matter where your shoulder is, it doesn't matter where your hip is, it doesn't matter where your head is. It matters where you're, whose feet are further ahead on the grass. And there is some sort of logic to it. But with both the Wolves and the Villa ones, they would still have been offside. That, to me, it kind of gives the lie to that as a solution. And I think what you need to do is say, right, we, we, we have always known that offside is, A, objective, you are either on or off, that's fine. 
and we have always known that there, that there will be a grey area, there will be fine margins. That's the nature of, of the beast. We used to kind of farm that out to linesmen, and then when they got it wrong, we'd shout at them. But we kind of accepted that there was human error involved, and you, you just have to blame the linesman for a bit and then move on. The problem that VAR introduced is that we, we expect it to be 100% correct all the time. But we don't like it, because being 100% correct all the time is following the letter of the law rather than the spirit of it. And offside is a... It's kind of, it's, it's quite a complicated idea, but it's an objective decision, but in the spirit of a law. So you look at Grealish for Villa at Burnley. That is not what any of us think is offside. That's not kind of what offside looks like in our mind's eye. And I think the issue is that we can now see that. We can now we are being shown our own hypocrisy almost. That we we do think we want clear, consistent, you know, kind of 100% precise, totally technically accurate decisions, but we don't really because the offside rule is very, very hard line and there is no sort of allowance for the fact that sometimes two people basically are in the same place and one of their feet might be slightly... Further. I mean, what was, what was it with Johnny Castro-Otto? It was about three millimetres. It was kind of the... It was the, out, it was the sponsored bit of his boot that was offside. That's not, that's not offside to any fan watching it. And I think that is why you need to look... Instead of messing about with how you implement the law... So changing it to where the feet are or, or improving the frame rate or the, to putting it in ultra HD or whatever, I think you need to say actually that the issue here is the law itself. And I think that's what IFAB are thinking about and certainly FIFA are thinking about is saying how can we reword the offside law, which has been done before, to make it more kind of practical in a, techn- in a technological digital age, but also so that it, it still seems to people that what they think offside should be is actually what offside is and if it's if it's as, as close as Grealish or, or Johnny then it's not offside because I don't think anyone looked at either of those and thought that, that that's definitely offside that should be offside they look level to um, but obviously level is tricky because you know you've got two human beings who are all human beings are all arms and legs aren't they and you kind of a bit of you might be in a slightly different angle and that puts you slightly further ahead but it, it, it's not you're not it sounds stupid, but you're you're still kind of level, even if your foot's you know three millimeters ahead of someone else. You are basically level. So there was, I think a lot of us have this sense that unless it's obviously offside, it probably shouldn't be offside. I'm hugely concerned by any significant change in the language around the offside law, um, and certainly any significant change in the language around the offside law, which gives the advantage uh, in a greater sense to the attacking side. I just think that it firstly the, the if you know there's the this what we'll call the Sunesian arguments that if any part of the body is level uh, therefore it is level um with the defender at which point you're giving unbelievably fast forwards a yard and a half head start on defenders um and at which point then defenders all defenders whether the Joe Gomez or whether or not the Wes Morgan will decide that the best place for them to stand on a football pitch is the edge of their area and never really ever consider moving and I think that this is why, I think this is really, really naughty. I take a lot of what Rory says is on board. John, to be honest with you, I think a lot of what he says is fair in terms of the way things feel. My issue with this is that as soon as you change the thing that is written down, the way in which it will, until you get to see how it will be applied and live that application and live that application through the madness and the prism of ineptitude such as Anthony Taylor and people like that, you then end up in a situation where I'm... Um, 
I genuinely think that any any more and, and there's a lot of people who keep saying but the advantage should always be with the attacker the extent to which the, the offside law has been liberalised towards the attacker over a long period of time uh, when Ian Rush scored a billion goals he, level was off um, which is, it makes it amazing he scored as many goals as he did and imagine how many he'd, got, he'd score now but this is my huge, huge concern, is that you'll end up in a situation where, you know, and even trying to, was Rory was speaking there, I was thinking, well, do you have time limits? But then the Pulisic one that he scores in the Super Cup final against Liverpool, you know, I think it's five seconds from when he was offside and he sticks the ball in the back of the net. It's over five seconds in that duration. So you can't say, well, you can't go back that far. And my issue with this is, as ever, issues with anything, when you change a law, whether it's literally a law of the land or you change a rule of a game, the unforeseen consequences are absolutely massive. So is there an issue? Yeah. I think there is. Um, I agree with Rory that arguments around frame rates and, and margin of error is indeed knocking it into the weeds. But I'm increasingly, and maybe it's just me getting older and, and at least you know evoking a little bit of conservatism somewhere within myself, uh, I'm just hugely concerned that if you change one thing here, you change absolutely everything. And the knock-on effect, you may say, well, it'll be the benefit of the doubt to the attackers, but it'll make up a series of defenders' minds that they will never get caught out. They will defend the edge of the area when the ball's for through balls, and they'll defend the edge of the six-yard box for corners so they can face forward, uh, from, for, for, sorry, for crosses so they can face forward at all times and attack the ball. And I think that if, if if we do end up shifting the language because we're struggling to make it work through television, then we end up in a really bad place. I'd rather than even consider that. I'd rather say we're not going to do offsides through the through the video anymore. Yeah, so I so I think Neil Neil has always contains great wisdom. Uh, <laughs> I think the the one thing that that happens when you change the rules is that it does fundamentally alter the game. And the best example of that is the back pass law. So you you don't get pressing that ultimate 2019 thing if if the backpass law yeah. doesn't change in 1990 that that shift all modern tactics rely exclusively on the backpass law having been removed that's that that was a fundamental shift in the game and i don't think that's what they meant to do i think all they wanted to do was say right well you can't just pa- keep passing it back to the goalkeeper when you're one nil up which is what all teams did for 100 years and that was a great idea and it worked and i think it's it it unquestionably improved football as a spectacle. I don't think there'd be many people who think, do you know what I'd really like? The last, last five <laughs> minutes, just, just to see the keeper keep picking it up. Um, the, the, there would be an impact, as Neil says, if you change, if you change the offside law so that it, and my, my version is slightly similar, it's similar, but it's like different to, to the Sunesian argument, which is I think your entire body should have to be offside. And that if your entire body is not offside, then you are not offside. I mean, Raheem Sterling right. scored a million goals. Yeah, it would, it would, change the way teams defend teams, teams would have to respond to that in the same way as I think initially with VAR there was that there has been a change in the way that teams I think teams have pushed higher because they're thinking we're not going to get caught yeah. if yeah. we get this right we will we will not be we will be able to catch it people offside every single time that's why Liverpool had that slightly weird start to the season where they were shipping quite a lot of goals although still winning games because they were defending five yards higher and I'm sure that partly partly that would have been just Klopp wanted to do something with the press something clever that I don't understand with the press but partly, I think he was thinking we can we can get more people offside now, and we're twitching up in Van Dijk and Gomez to get away with it, or Matip to get away with it. So there are kind of there are tactical and sort of systemic consequences to legal changes. The the alternative would be I don't I don't think it's realistic. So you see all these people on Twitter, uh, Brexit voters largely, to saying get rid of the 
get rid of VAR, it's time, we've had enough, we don't want it. These will have been the exact same people complaining endlessly about referees and how terrible they all were and how it was awful how they kept getting decisions wrong. It's one thing or the other, lads. Come on, you can't, you can't kind of say you want both. <laughs> well, that's what you say in the article as well. I mean, just to sort of finish up, Rory, is that, you know, you, you sort of end with, well, this is, this is all your fault, you know. I mean, I, mean, I, didn't, it was, I didn't feel it was directly at, at me but then in the, particular. But, but the flip side of that is in the Wolves game, Anthony Taylor makes a, an absolute stinking decision. He makes another 10 stinking decisions over the course of the yeah. game because he's the worst referee in the country but he makes a stinking decision that has to be overturned by television like it's such a bad decision he's got away with it because everyone's talking about this and not talking about the fact that he's not he's not fit for the job but you know the, the I, I do have a general sort of try to be soft about referees we always say we don't talk about referees Taylor is an exception around that yeah. but you know it's a terrible decision he and does, it only gets overturned through video and the Wolves players aren't even appealing for it and they don't understand what's going on yeah I but I just I mean that it is a bad decision but I think for, for example, so for, on the offside ones, the, the reason that it's often given for, for, for bringing it in amongst Liverpool fans is the Raheem Sterling one in 2014. And although I've got a lot of sympathy with it in that, you know, it was a big call at a big time, I'm sort of thinking, if we're having to go back six years, lads, then then they're getting a yep. lot right. And I sort of feel like, you know, we, 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 you know we, we're still talking about an offside decision in January 2014 as the reason to, to bring VAR in. Then maybe, maybe, the, you know, the, the, the lads... Yeah, I'm, quite, I'm, quite, I'm honestly quite relaxed about it where offsides are concerned. I'm, I'm very concerned about it in, with the, with reference to a lot of things that you see in the middle of the pitch. I'm very concerned about the standard... I've been concerned about the standard of referee in there for a while, and I do think there's an argument the game is just too fast for them uh, for a lot of the time and I think that that's the best interpretation of Anthony Taylor but I think that there's 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 a lot of this which you know I, I honestly I'm I'm happy to say that the the you know VAR for penalties out of VAR for yellow cards out of VAR for red cards I think you can make an argument which isn't necessarily that Brexit to say put it back in its box for for the offsides because broadly speaking the offside rule did not feel as though it was reaching some sort of crisis point whereas general competence did what do you think? I think that, that, Go on. That's probably right. That I think you you could make a case. I, as, taking Brexit out of it, <laughs> it, basically once you once you have an innovation, you don't move backwards. You, we, we, as, as humans, we don't kind of say, right, we've got this thing, let's not use it. With the one exception of, of nuclear weaponry, and I don't think this is this is quite <laughs> the same parallel. The um, but the, so I think that the chances of us saying like no VAR are, are are zero. So I, I I don't have any truck with that argument of. People saying, right, time to get rid of it. Let's, they need to come back with it and show us that it works. So all that will happen then is there'll be a couple of, of marginal decisions. People will decide they don't like that iteration of it either. So because I do think it's a technological solution to a cultural problem, and the cultural problem is, and it's, it's interesting, it's happened all over Europe, wherever they've introduced it, it's interesting that it's really kicked off in England. Because our, our football culture is about complaining. It's yeah. about complaining and blaming people. And that's not, it's not necessarily unique, but it, this is a bigger issue in England than it is elsewhere. Completely agree. And that it was at, at the... Uh, the kind of comparative time in their VAR experience elsewhere. But I do think you can make a case for saying to the Premier League, saying, we don't think this works for offside. We think that, that for red cards, mistaken identity, for clear and obvious mistakes, for the, for the man-aid over against Wolf, that was VAR working brilliantly. That was, that was showing I'm a bit kinder to all referees than, than Neil is, and I, including Anthony Taylor. He got it wrong. I can kind of see why he got it wrong. Because Lallana did kind of shove his arm, he didn't move his arm as the ball hit his shoulder. So, you know, we made a mistake, fine, fair play. TV fixes it, that's exactly what VAR should be doing. That, that's why it's good. You, could, you can make a case that the Premier League could go to, well, they could go to UEFA or FIFA or whoever. I'm not, in, I'm, I'm not actually sure who's in charge of this, just the Premier League are, <laughs> are using it wrong. But I don't think anyone can punish them for it. 
so that it's kind of up to them, really, whether they use it wrong or not. You could say, well, look, we, well, actually, we want VAR, but we want it all in black and white, and that's the best. We think that's the best way to do it, or we want it with with a soundtrack. It's up to them how they use it. I don't think anyone can tell them you're doing it wrong, and actually make them use it right. Because IFAB keep telling them use the on the on field monitors, and they won't. They just for some reason they've decided they will not use them. The you could be sorry. I'm really going on now. You can make a case that if the Premier League said at the start of next season, right, we're going to keep VAR, but we're not having it for offsides, that might be a happy halfway house for the time being. I think it's reaching a point now where where fans, and that's that, without wanting to sound like some of my colleagues, they're not they're not fans in inverted commas that don't all think, or don't all think the same, and they're not always the most important people to consider. But the says the FSA writer of the year. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you, it's, it's often in votes as fans don't like it, so we shouldn't like it. That's not necessarily how it should work. And I think to an extent PGMOL are right that there is an educational process with it and we will get used to certain sort of foibles of it. The, but I think you could, you could argue that if fans don't think what is technically offside is offside, if it doesn't feel right to the people watching the game or the people playing the game, then you can say, do you know what? this isn't actually what we want our, our our sport to look like, so we're not going to use VAR for offside. Or you can you can fiddle about with the frame rate, you can say it has to be this, it has to be this, you can, put, you can impose a time limit or a, a limit on the number of replays that you're allowed to watch or the number of angles you're allowed to watch. You could you could in, introduce, you could encourage the referees to use the pitch side monitors. You can, you can kind of fiddle about it. You can leave it as it is, you can fiddle about with it, you can have a fundamental change, and the two fundamental changes are either saying there's no VAR for offside or you change the offside law. But I don't think continuing with it as it is is a particularly... It's not a recipe for a happy life. <laughs> and we all want a recipe for a happy life. Yeah, thanks a lot to Wardy for joining us. Over the phone, obviously, to Neil in the studio. Now back to uh, The Weekender. And it's John Gibbons for The Weekender. And we are doing the last fan standing quiz. We've missed a few over Christmas. Uh, we haven't been doing them, but we are back in amongst it. And last fan standing, for those who don't know, is a quiz app. You play it on your mobile phone. It's completely free to download. It's free to play during the week. And um, you can just test yourself against other Liverpool fans who are on there. And then at the weekend, you can get tokens to play the cash game, which is all a predictive quiz, which is based on what will go on in that game. I say at the weekend, obviously, we're playing here, there and everywhere at the moment including today and um, we, this is going to go out tomorrow but we've got Sean Clement on the phone who's going to play the quiz with us today and Sean you're, you're on your way up to Liverpool I am on the way to the match yeah yeah, so you're on the you're on the train now. Um, so we're hoping slowest, slowest, slowest train in the world. But yeah, <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Good old good old Northern Rail, eh? Uh, losing the franchise, <laughs> but we won't we won't get into that. We won't do politics. Um, but um, but yeah, Northern Rail, we will not miss you. Um, but yeah, so Sean, so there is a I mean, there's a leaderboard of sorts going on for this at the Anfield Wrap. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not going. Um, I'm not quite keeping tabs on it quite as well as I should be. But we have been sending the merch out to people who play. So you've already won yourself an Anfield Wrap T-shirt just by taking part but obviously you're hoping to go as deep in this quiz as possible i am sure so um best of luck and we'll get going uh, question one is liverpool's only draw in the premier league this season was against manchester city or man united Manchester. of course of course it was manchester united okay number two what was the score last time liverpool played sheffield united was it one nil or two nil one nil at bamalania how many premier league points did liverpool have at the start of 2020 was it 53, 54 or 55? 55. They have got 55 today, that is correct. This is before Sheffield United. Um, which Wolves player had a goal ruled out by VAR on Sunday? Was it Jetta or Neto? 
netto. Correct, you're flying here, mate. Absolutely flying. Alisson was the last Premier League player to be sent off in 2019 against who? Was it Brighton, Norwich or Bournemouth? It was. In last season's Premier League, which player had more assists? James Milner or Jordan Henderson? Uh, James Milner. It was. Milner had four, Henderson had three. Number seven. I'm feeling good about this. I'm going to go all the way to the end, mate. Where did Kenny Dagalish take over as manager from? In two, Sorry, who did Kenny Dagalish take over as manager from in 2011? Was it Benitez or Hodgson? It was the Hodge, uh, he says with a dark tone in his voice. Uh, according to LFC history, this is a last fan standing, having no part of this if it's wrong, I like that. According to LFC history, how many players have scored for Liverpool? Is it 453, 553 or 621? 553. It's four, five, three. I thought we had it, mate. I thought we were going to go right to the end. That was hard. That was it. It was basically just a guess, but yeah. you did well. But seven, I think, is one of our better scores. So if we do figure out um, who's got what, and we do figure out a bit of a leaderboard, I reckon you'll be in the quarterfinals at least come the end of the season. But uh, at least you get to Anfield that merch, and you're on your way to Anfield. So enjoy yourself tonight, mate. Anyway, cheers. Nice one, Lan. Thanks a lot for playing. And, and yeah, get involved. Get involved with Last Fan Standing. Um, if you're not yet, do download the app. And, yeah, it's good fun. And me and Neil host some of the quizzes on there, so you get to laugh at us there. But in the meantime, thanks a lot. And, yeah, cheers up to Reds. Joined by Greg O'Keefe of The Athletic to chat through Everton uh, with one eye on Sunday's game against Liverpool. But also, in general, Greg, is the first time we've talked since the managerial appointment. And there's been a little bit of... Uh, there's been mostly positive reaction, but there's been a little bit of, you know, talk of, of Ancelotti's general general career of what he's maybe at times underperformed in leagues the sort of clubs he's managed up to this point but surely the most important thing and the thing he offers Everton and the thing that maybe Everton needed more than almost any other club in the country was the idea of hope and a pathway and I'm, I'm always suspicious of people writing about football who are telling football supporters not to believe in things I think Carlo Ancelotti is as much as anyone Everton we're going to get to be manager a man who can be believed in yeah yeah, I think and that that sort of the genesis of that hope and that, that belief is even down to the fact that he is actually the Everton manager because if you'd sort of suggested that to, to someone at the start of the season, I think they probably would have laughed you away. It's just, it, it, there is still a whiff of surreality about it for me. Like, I'm looking at it thinking, how did, how has that happened? Mm. And, and obviously it's happened through Machine's financial clout and just circumstances. I think they've, they've got lucky. Um, they've got some uh, slice of good fortune and the timing of him leaving Napoli and you know they've managed to get in front of him and convince him um, that rather than wait till the summer and, and, and you know take his pick or certainly have a, you'd imagine having a choice of a couple of Champions League clubs uh, they've managed to convince him that, that it's worth taking a punt on them and I mean obviously in first instance you'd imagine it's a chance for him to be working back in the Premier League what what he wanted and then it'll be in these eye, eye water in personal terms but you know Arsenal were, were floating around on the scene and you know even West he, he loves London that much I believe like West Ham it was clear they were going to be looking for a new manager and the fact that he's he's come to Goodison just gives you that initial burst of, of optimism in itself I think it's it's one where, given his the, the the very nature of him, I think is is you know everything that you read about him suggests he's a remarkably upbeat influence. But I think that what that does is it sort of removes at times a tiny element of seriousness from him. I'm intrigued by the idea that yes, there have been eye water in personal terms, but ultimately Carlo Ancelotti doesn't entirely need the money. You know, he's not going to be he's not yeah. going to be going down the job club um, if, if 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 he doesn't get something pretty soon. It's it seems to me as though you know there must have been an element here. Of 
convincing him that there was something he could do at Everton, something that would be that would would add to his career, uh, not to his CV. He doesn't need that, but to add to his career. It's probably yeah, it's it's probably kind of quite a unique challenge for him because I think a lot of clubs who might cover him in Everton's situation wouldn't be able to, you know, put a deal that makes sense for him financially over the table. Uh, and Everton can do that, like I say, because of Mishiri. But at the same time, it shows his hunger, I think, in management because, you know, it is an unconventional choice for him. You'd have to go back to Palmer for him, really, yeah. to, to, to consider, like, you know, managing a team that's you know, traditionally been a successful club but hasn't had success for a long time, got a big fan base, but, you know, uh, clearly not one of the, the big players in the top flight. So it suggests to me that he still wants to prove that he can win and this is you know in terms of against the odds this is this is probably the biggest challenge I, I'd suggest he's taken on his managerial career at 60 with all this all these medals and all the, the fantastic CV behind him so I think it's promising he wouldn't like you say he doesn't need the money so I wouldn't imagine he would have taken this job unless he he just felt there was something to it um, and like I say you know it kind of it, it, at the time when Arsenal were, were looking for a manager and you would have said <laughs> not common sense but kind of you would imagine that it's actually probably would have been Arteta who would have come to Everton and Ancelotti would go to Arsenal but just it says so much about the Premier League when outside of the, the top four at the moment that Arsenal also a club in, in uh, with loads of problems like Everton have um, ended up kind of getting the their former player and, and Everton got Ancelotti who as I say he, do, he loves living in London in Mayfair Um and so, it just must have just piqued his curiosity, and I think he came down and watched the watched the game. Obviously, when when they beat Chelsea, and yeah, it's it's it does. And obviously, it's right. I mean, we can talk about the, the FA Cup tie and his record against Liverpool, but beyond that, I think um, you, it's interesting what you said about the sort of like his lighter touch sometimes makes people not you know because he's not as ridiculously intense as someone like Pep mm. uh, probably not as charismatic as Klopp I think you could probably say that for most managers um, maybe people like under in a way underestimate him sometimes despite obviously they, they recognise what he's won is it, um, is it also in part when yeah. you say that as well maybe just also what, what Everton need which is for people to go to the match and have a nice time I watched the 3-1 uh, the, 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 yeah. the, the, the win against Chelsea and genuinely you know we, we we are obviously you know deep rivals and I don't want Everton to win as much as a tombola but it was nice watching people in who you know who I sort of know suddenly have a fantastic time and it really did feel like that like everyone just had a ball and I've done I've been horrible about Duncan Ferguson in public in private and a number of different ways but everybody got to enjoy themselves and I'm just sort of wondering if you know because we're going to talk about the Liverpool thing in a minute but almost in a sense the idea of Ancelotti turns up and he can say all the stuff that you worry about all the time they've almost won that title already that's gone don't even worry about that now let's just get on with enjoying this Everton thing as much as humanly possible and Ferguson started that but sort of continuing this idea of we can all have a great time you know yeah exactly and, and you know just I think Ferguson like simplified things massively uh, I think the problem, as Marco Silva was kind of grasping for solutions and dealing with the horrendous injury injury list, and, and like stuff really did go against him towards the end. He didn't help himself, but things went against him in, in, in injuries. And you still see Ferguson and Ancelotti yesterday at the Etihad dealing with the legacy of that. So um, that that's a problem. But I think Silva just made life difficult in terms of the way 
he was overloading the players with with information, tackle instruction, and really sort of like mid to slow paced, long laborious training sessions. And Ferguson came in, and he didn't do anything sort of uh, revolutionary, but he simplified things. He let them play to their strengths, shorter, sharper training sessions. And yeah, he just lifted. He lifted the atmosphere, as you say. He kind of reminded them to to enjoy the game. And he got Dominic. He's got Dominic started getting Dominic Carvalho scoring goals, telling him a bit more about how to limit the stuff he does in terms of running the channels and trying to charge around the front three positions and just staying in poachers' areas and trying to basically be a proper centre forward. And Ancelotti's building on that, and it's, it's definitely not going to be a quick fix. The injury problems are still a massive issue. And just generally speaking, in terms of the quality of the squad, still a problem, and you know, that's going to take time to fix. I don't think it'll happen in January um, massively anyway. But in the, in the meantime, I think Everton will start winning games you'd expect them to win. Uh, and, and as with yesterday, they might be competitive and, and they might get things from the, the more difficult games against the cities and you know the other sides who are looking to win something this season. So that in itself is going to leave more Blues <laughs> happier than the way it ended under under Silver, and you just you just hope that there is some investment like in the transfer market again in the summer. And I know it's not always the answer, but you'd imagine Ancelotti hasn't come to just work with his squad of players, and, and whether or not it happens in January, I think he'll be wanting to do make his own stamp on the team in, in the summer. I think there the will want to be additions, but it's interesting he's he's talked about it. it's a good squad this, and he, again that idea mm. that he's just trying to lighten everyone up. It's a good squad; these are good players, and yeah. it's you know it's an inter- And I think that one of the strange things about when I go through that Everton squad and looking at myself and even the side that plays against City, that I can make an argument for almost all of those footballers being more than good enough to play for a side that finishes top six. But what you what where yeah. there's a little bit of a problem is how they all collectively finish top six that they maybe need a couple of players who act a bit more as glue and I think one of the core areas for that to me whenever I've seen Everton this season and it's the same against Man City has looked like the middle of the park it's been the middle yeah. of the park really where I think you know if there was an area where Everton could go and get £40 million worth of quality and that £40 million worth of quality be available for selection most weeks that's arguably where it'd make the biggest difference Yeah I think we said that maybe before the Anfield dog when you and I were chatting you know losing Idrissa Gay uh, and all the qualities he brought to, to the middle of the park, and not re- and then replacing them with someone who's, who's hardly kicked the ball in, in as Jean Philippe Gabamon was was difficult. Um, losing Andre Gomez again, a, a player who can put his foot on the ball, pick yep. a pass, really difficult. And then if you looked at what they kind of had to, what they ended up using against City really with Sigurdsson and, and Delph, that kind of underlines your point individually. Good footballers now they're the type of players that you would expect to see in a team challenging to finish in the top seven places but as a unit you know those two in central midfield I don't felt don't feel they worked against Man City I don't think they would work going forward I think it's just plugging holes at the moment um, and yeah if it, like like you say I think the the priority has to be another midfielder whether or not you can even expect Gabamon or Gomez to have much influence even if they're sort of technically match fit the rest of the season now I think is a, is a bit of a doubt certainly with Gabamon because he's someone who hasn't played in the Premier League before so I, I guess you'll see the best of him next season if at all really um, looking at the Liverpool game firstly the it's an opportunity for Everton to win at Anfield uh, Liverpool will make changes I think it's reasonable to to, to say that uh, we don't, we, we, we're recording this before Liverpool have even played against uh, Sheffield yeah. United so we've got to be clear about that but 
Um, the flip side of this, though, is that Everton have had a long Christmas. I thought they looked tired at times against City, and he hasn't really got much room for rotation. He hasn't got much room to manoeuvre, has he, Ancelotti? Even no. if he wanted to, I think it'll be very close to the side that plays against Manchester City. Yeah, exactly. Like I say, I keep banging on about it, but the, the reduced options they've got everywhere, particularly in the middle of the park, I mean, you can't change it that much. Um, and we started this talk about hope, didn't we? But let's... <laughs> It's difficult because you say Liverpool put out a, a weaker team. Well, they they did that really in the league, didn't they? Uh, you know, in the last game, five two, and it didn't change the outcome. So, I think you, the only factor that Evertonians will be clinging to go, going into this fixture is what Ancelotti can bring to it in terms of tactics uh, against a, a potentially weakened side. And you know, you and I chatted earlier about the. He, he does seem to have an idea how to uh, stop Klopp's teams. Uh, however, it's with considerably better players as, at his disposal at, at Napoli and so on and so forth. So it'll be it'll be seeing what he can do. And the cup is is, is huge for Everton. Uh, I would suggest probably in a sense that it's not as much of a priority for Liverpool, but you know, for, for obvious reasons. Mm. So um, the way they went out the, the League Cup was another sickener really to go, to go out like that against Leicester on penalties. So. If they can, if they can somehow get a result, or potentially even just getting in the replay back to Goodison, then I think that will be considered a step forward. Um, me a quick score prediction. I reckon it'll be. I'll go one-one. I reckon they'll get a replay back to Goodison and then see what they can do there. Okay, thank you very much to Greg. Let's uh, move ourselves along. Great to speak to Greg uh, as ever. Um, want to work through the obvious bits and pieces uh, of the Merseyside derby and the first thing and the first question and I like that Kieran's already got his pen out uh, <laughs> is he knows I'm going to ask him about the team the suggestion I think Kieran from the post-match uh, Henderson for instance said oh we've got the Merseyside derby next and it seems to suggest he thought he was getting played um, I do wonder I think it's quite difficult to work out how strong the manager's going to go to be honest with you I think we all now that that game's over would like him to go really strong but I think we'd also all understand if he wanted to give a few players a little bit of a break I I want to give the players a break I, I reckon our second string's good enough to beat Everton <laughs> to be honest he's done it before however I think people getting too confused with the League Cup and the FA Cup here. I mean, the FA Cup is still a big trophy just because Liverpool's focus has not this, hasn't been on that trophy for a while because we haven't had the squad to compete across two or three different trophies. This is a trophy the players will want to win. This is a trophy the club will want to win. It's, you know, it's it's the FA Cup. It's a Merseyside derby. You can't, you don't want to, we haven't lost all season. You don't want to lose to Everton in a Merseyside derby in the, and put a chance to win a, a cup to bed. I play. I think he might play a stronger side than than expected. I think it won't be as it won't be the Villa side in the um, in the Carabao Cup, but it, 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 it there will be um, there will be some first teams in there. I yeah, I'm inclined to believe it'll be. It could be as strong as possible. Now, I thought he might mix and match a bit. Look, we don't know what as strong as possible is because as you as you said, Kieran, he, the last team he implied the, the last team he puts out against Everton looks like a League Cup side at first reading, doesn't it? He had, they have got this virtually a full week break afterwards, so the, so the considerations are slightly different. I think it's it's the team he picks is about how much he how much freshness he sees in their legs in training in the day in the day the last session before, and I think that he'll pick his team on the back of that. Whoever's running around like a young colt will get picked. Speaking of which, Origi was interesting for ten minutes there, wasn't he? Well, I've never seen, he just sprinted up and down the pitch like a child. What I a great him. tackle! <laughs> that's a great tackle. Well, I was like, who's going to come out with this? Because because of my angle, I couldn't <laughs> see that Origi. I'm like, oh, it's it's right, lad. 
God. <laughs> well, well, Arigi is a good. Well, Arigi is an interesting one. Is his muscle memory against Everton? Is is yeah. legendary boy that his Everton muscle is will be twitching coming into this game? <laughs> I, th- I, think such a, I think he played. I think he played. I think I think in a way Arigi is going to look at him as much as Henderson's going to go. Come on, boss, you do not not pick me for derbies, do you, mate? <laughs> and he's going to go. Yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. So I think he'll come in, and I think Adam Lallana has earned the chance as yeah. well. Um, the, the manager's ruled out Naby Keita because of this injury, and I'm, I'm just hoping it's another, not another one of those phases for Naby. So I think those two come in. Um, I think James Mills. So it's, it's hard to so say. If, if those two come in, you said one of the front three drops out, and I wouldn't like to say which one. Poss probably Firmino. Firmino even though- oh, of course. I'm forgetting. Sorry, kid. I'm forgetting about the other lads who, who are. I, well, I, he better start him because I've been waiting a long yeah, time. Yeah, it's a good point. Actually, yeah, Kumi, yeah, good point. the man who, who put the ball in the Evertonian net. Takumi Minamino, uh, to quote a song that's coming soon near you. <laughs> it's, I mean, I've just written them down there as Rob's done them. John Lalana, Origi, Minamino, Milner. You can make a case for all of them. And then before you know where you are, maybe you're resting two of the front three, but you don't feel as though the, it doesn't feel like it's resting with a capital R. It doesn't feel like it's a big dramatic thing. It's just shaking the side up a little bit. I'd be surprised if he starts Minamino. I think he's more likely to be on the bench. I mean, you might just throw him in there because you might think, well, you know, you, you've just read out a, a list of league games there that all look really tough that he probably won't start any of. So he might think, well, I'll give him his I'll give him his game there and then it takes a little bit of the pressure off and then we can use him a little bit more on the bench. You know, you, you might think, I don't want to not start him for a month and then everyone's like, oh, what, you know, what's going on here? You know, he, it turns into a bit of a thing. So he might, he might have his eye on that a little bit, but I think he'll still be tempted to, 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 to start him on the bench, really. I think it's, interesting he gives uh, Elliot like 10 seconds like it's almost like you know it's a bit of a taster for the for the pitch and the crowd really because he doesn't touch the ball does he so it's almost kind of like I don't know is he preparing him for you know in a, in a strange way to, to play uh, just Curtis Jones there as well who's done well in cup competitions and you know as a scouser he, he might think you know it'd be a good one to, to, to throw him in I think he has got options but I don't think he's got loads. And I think he's talked a lot over Christmas going, well, I'd like to have rotated more, but these injuries have sort of, you know, had me hand behind me back a little bit. Where I don't think, where I don't think he's got options, John, is the back four, to be honest with you. He can, he, can, he can drop Milner in maybe to either full-back position, but that is either full-back position. And I don't think you necessarily want to expose a young centre-back, whether it's Vandenberg or Phillips, to a Merseyside derby as as at this stage of proceedings, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I think he's almost got to pick at least three of the back four, at which point there's something in my head that says, we'll just pick, pick up four. four. I think yeah. you will. I yeah, think you I will think pick the back four. I, yeah. think, I think you'll see the likes of maybe, maybe Elliot or Minamino or, some, or something like that come in the top end of the pitch. But I think if you're going to if you're gonna do this, I think keep Allison in the back four together, stop Everton have any chance of scoring and then allow these fringe players to, to try to fix some damage like they've done before, you know what I mean? In terms of Minamino, Klopp's not scared of keeping the player on the sideline for a while. We've seen it with nearly every, yeah, that's true, every yeah. player he's brought in. Yeah. So there's a possibility he might not even feature at all. Um, but at the same time, he's great. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I haven't looked at the, I haven't looked I haven't at the him, in front of me. I haven't seen him play yet, but I've looked at some stats and he's, uh, he's great, so I'll start him, yeah. There is the he's great argument. Well, I, I think there's a different, I think there's one thing bringing a player in in the summer when you brought a few in and you're going to go, well, I'm not bedding them all together. I think there's that sort of mentality and we saw with Fabino and Chamberlain and players like that. I think if you buy someone in the, you buy someone now, in the here and now, Someone and also someone of the profile of Minamino, I think you're expecting. I think he expects him to play quickly. I, I mean, we, we were talking about this again last night, Neil. We know he's up to speed. 
he literally played the two intense, you could call them training games against Liverpool for his former team Salzburg. Liverpool mm. know he can cope with Liverpool players around him. You know, he's very, very much up to speed. So, and I agree with the, the point that, yeah, there's not a lot of obvious starts in the Premier League coming up for him. I don't know, maybe I just think Klopp should be like, would be like me and I would just start because I'd be so beside myself with excitement. <laughs> everyone wants him to start. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's be right here. Please start him, Jürgen. Um, uh, yeah. So what are we saying? Him and him and the, the rest of the front. Mind you, that, there's a region that can be... Actually, we've quietly talked ourselves into potentially a lot of wholesale changes here from being the team that played last well, night. Well, the, the one I think that it would be harsh not to start, and I don't think he will, but it will feel harsh is Curtis Jones. Because I think if you are Curtis Jones, around the time you play in the League Cup games, you've got one eye on, well, the third round, I should get the third round of the FA Cup. Yeah. And I deserve to get the third round of the FA Cup. That's the point. I almost like, I'm, I'm putting myself in position to get the third round of the FA Cup. And it, it does feel a little bit like, you know, if you're Curtis Jones, what are you thinking of? He's going to play a certain team and then hopefully we'll get someone rubbish in the fourth round of the FA Cup and then he'll throw me in for that. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It is tough, isn't it? And I think, you know, when Jurgen Klopp's criticised for his attitudes to the FA Cup in particular, I think he can go well. First of all, you put the third round straight after the, the, this ridiculously busy period that you insist on over Christmas. Then you put that one there, so you know something's got to give. But also, you know, it's 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 big games that we keep getting in the third round, aren't we? When Man, mm. Man City just get Crawley Town every round, and and so and you know he's. You know, it's Wolves away, you know, tough one tough one last season. Two seasons ago was Everton, this yeah, season it's yeah, Everton. Yeah, and so we so we keep getting these 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 kind of tough third round draws really and and you know, it's it, it it's it's a hard one for him really because we're all we're all obsessed with the league. We all keep going on about it like it's this you know, big obsession thing and then the FA Cup comes along and then we go, Oh no, we wanna win that as well and he's like, Oh come on, you know, and I'm sure the owners, you know, talk about Champions League and stuff like that to him and, and so when you know when they sat there in the summer talking about the priorities and what they want to do and what they want to achieve like I doubt the FA Cup even comes up do you know what I mean when they're talking about it and so so I want to win it you know I'm I, I, we kid and you know we can't, we can't start talking about it like it's the League Cup you know it's not it's a it's a, it's a, it's a proper trophy it actually undoes your arguments with the League Cup if you do that if you group the two of yeah, them together I yeah. think it undoes it weakens your yeah. you know what I mean you yeah, can't start yeah, yeah. You've, you've got I'm more than happy to write the League Cup off every season now forever I'd almost be happy if we managed to find a way not to enter it but there's a but there's a flip side there, which is that what you've got to do is you can't go over well, it's all like that. I yeah. think you've got to find your little balance. I think there's the benefits to the League Cup because I think I think you know there's, there's Liverpool players who've benefited from it being there. You know, even just this season, you know, you I look agree, at yeah. but so so I don't mind sort of being in it. But I think the FA, I think we've just been a bit unlucky, as I say, with the draws and where it's come. But I think I just think because. Thursday United against Sheffield United was was so straightforward and I think they conserved a lot of energy on the pitch to be honest with you I think there'll be a few lads coming on just play me again just play me again boss there, there is there is the notion in, in trophy collecting I mean in other sports like they call grand slams and whatever yeah. You ask Guardiola, would you, would you, would, could we just pretend your League Cup win last season didn't happen? You go, no, it's part of the treble. I got a treble last season. Yeah. And no one's mentioning the word domestic double. Now, the, the, the double, I mean, I grew up with the double being the greatest thing in the world. In fact, the double was probably better than a European Cup and League double. And it had only been, when Liverpool did in 86, it had only been done by uh, two teams post-war. Now a few, a few more have done it, but it's still a thing. Well, one thing you, we were always in the mindset on is, is if you're in charge of your own league title race, you then want to win the FA Cup to put an absolute sheen on it. I, look, I don't want to be greedy, take things for granted, we're going to have to keep reiterating that. But if we win the league, it'd be 
lovely to sort of to gild it all with at least one other trophy. And, and of course, I'd rather it was the European Cup. But Jesus, winning, being able to say we've won the bloody double would be something else. It's not even just a double. It's, it's a potential five trophies. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's well, yeah, like, it's a haul. It's an absolute haul. I mean, <laughs> sack it's, full. It, it's, we're making we're making <laughs> we're making history on every single frontier in terms of, you know. Yeah, then we'll go through the stats. You know, you know the numbers that we're breaking at the minute. But if you can pull a, a Super Cup, a World Club Cup, a League title, a European Cup, and an FA Cup on the back of a European Cup win last year, it's like six trophies in twelve months. It's mm. like, it's insane. Like yeah. I, I want to win everything. I really do want to win. I know I might just be being greedy, and you got to look at the bigger picture in terms of how many games we've just played, how many games we're coming up. But we've got a squad there, and I think. I think I think we can we can put a few first teamers in with in with a few of these fringe players and we can we can take this all the way to Wembley, you know what I mean? I do. I do. Uh bullishness. Why shouldn't you be bullish at this stage of the campaign? Prediction for Everton? Three 0 Three one. Two one. Tell you, got edgy as it wore on that. <laughs> Especially as I think we're going to get I a think I, 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 I think I've been so used to saying three, three or four nil. Yeah, I, yeah, I realised it's probably going to be a bit of a tighter game, but I'm going to stick with it. Like you stick with you stick with three nil. I think that we're going to get what we don't want, which is a replay. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. Listen, every now and again, someone's got to be a little bit downhearted on one of these shows. It's been a pleasure today, uh, Rory, Greg, Kieran, Rob, and John. It's been the Anfield wrap. Liverpool are absolutely fantastic, but they always have to start again. Sports Social Podcast Network.